You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks, and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. (laughs) That could be our new music. Yeah. Yeah. I could just forget sing. that. Forget that intro. Hey. It's the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Bing, 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 bing. Yeah. Welcome. It is the we, Gravity we Leadership Podcast. We don't have podcast. a band. Yeah. I, I'm not going to play it. My, my brother uh, sent me <laughs> this morning. I watched it. My brother sent me this, uh, this video. It's, it's an actual recording of a guy who went into a Christian uh, like recording studio and he had like all these song ideas that he wanted to give. <laughs> You want to give these guys just crack me up. They they're really bad. But bad they're kind of like that. Yeah. Oh. Like, he he hey. kind of comes in and he was like, "Hey, you know I uh, you know I, I I got some song ideas. I I need some help finishing them, but uh, he, like here's one like I'm praying. That's one. <laughs> and then he like, <laughs> like that's all of his song ideas, like one phrase that all sounds the same. Uh yeah. just to be clear, it sounds like I could Correct. help this person. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I the song we just made up there about yeah. the gravity is better than these better songs. Better than these yeah, songs. Yeah, yeah. So. Anyway, you're listening to the Gravity Leadership podcast. Uh-huh. We are in a studio, which is just my office in my home. Mm-hmm. Ben and I... Nothing fancy. Nothing fancy. Ben and I co-pastor together here in a suburb of Indianapolis. We record these podcasts on Friday mornings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm getting hungry. So if you yeah. hear growling, it's me. It's my belly. Yeah. I'm hungry today. Yeah. Well, just don't aim the mic down there. That might, 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 that might help. <laughs> <laughs> right. We are... We're in a, a series on power and a Christian relationship to power, and we have... Extended the invitation on our yes. podcast numerous times. Hey, 
tell us, uh, wh- how do you experience power? How is this intersecting with your story? And we've heard, I was just in New Hampshire a couple weeks ago, and several people that I met for the first time were telling me, hey, I've been listening to this series on power. It's super helpful. I really appreciate it. I had a, a friend of mine uh, who it lives in Fort Wayne as well. Uh, our guest is from Fort Wayne today. I'll introduce him in a second. And she was like, hey, this stuff on power is great. Why don't you have more women? Mm. And I was like, well, that's a great question. Uh, just to be clear, I was like, we have we have reached out to a few women, and they just yeah. um, actually we have one coming up in a few weeks. That's part of the power series. Um, and a couple have said no, and then I just said, hey, why don't you come on and talk about power to this mm-hmm. woman? She's like, no, nah, that's okay. <laughs> She's like, I don't know if I have anything to say. Yeah. Uh, so, but one of the persons who has reached out to us is our new friend Kirsch Cochran. Hi, Kirsch. Hey, how's it going? Good, man. And you live in Fort Wayne, and you sent us an email out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't know you before you emailed us. No. Nope. Uh, and we have no idea what you're going to talk about. So what do you want to talk No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, you're like, hey, <laughs> this I... This is how this works. <laughs> if, you want to be on, if you want to be on our podcast and talk about anything, come on. No, <laughs> no Kirsch was like, hey, um, I'm listening to this podcast, and I'm a cop. Is a uh, police officer? Which, which do you prefer? Cop? Uh, pl- police officers fine. Okay. Some people think cop is offensive. It's not. All right. Well, I just don't know. Yeah. Okay. Police yeah. officer. Yes. Uh, and I have, I intersect with power and race all the time. And uh, I just want you guys to know that I've been listening and I've appreciated it. So, so then I called Kirsch from the airport once when I was traveling and literally, uh, was blown away by some of your stories. So Kirsch, could you introduce us? Tell us a little bit about you, uh, who you are, what you do, and why you reached out to us. Yeah, 100%. So I think why I reached out was this podcast series intersects with my life in a, in a unique way more so than um, I think the conversation of race and power um, has. And so because it, it also weaves in the idea of Christianity, and that's something that I don't, I don't have figured out. I'm trying to figure it out as mm-hmm. I go. And I think um, for a long time, I thought that was something wrong with me, but then I realized that that is... <laughs> Um, essentially what we're all doing as we're trying to figure out how God weaves in and out of our unique callings. And so um, yes. when I heard this podcast uh, on power and the series on power, I just ate it up. It was, it was like Netflix binging all of them on power. <laughs> and uh, it was, it was, it was pretty awesome. And it was pretty profound. And I, I'll be honest with you. I didn't reach out in the hopes of, you know, you guys asking me to be on. It was just a thank you, you know, um, mm. man, I appreciate you guys being willing to have this conversation because it can be a tough conversation at times because as Christians, there have been so many times that we've been on the wrong side of things. And, and this conversation involves admitting that, um, but moving forward and not staying in a place of lamentation, but moving forward in a, in a place of grace and reconciliation. So my personal story is I went to Huntington University I'm originally from South Side of Indianapolis, Franklin, Indiana. Yeah. And then I went to Huntington uh, for broadcast journalism. I'm a third generation police officer now, but um, that's certainly not what I what I wanted to do and not what I thought was in my future. Um, my voice changed when I was in like eighth grade. And so everyone was always like, oh man, your voice is awesome. You need to be in the radio. You need to go, go into radio. And I was like, okay. And so... I, did you put that on your resume, the, the envy of every other 14-year-old boy? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, right. Uh, and so at, uh, at 14 years old, I got my first um, internship with a radio station, and it was an oldie station, and I was doing traffic and weather for this oldie station, and my grandma was 
picking me up and taking me from it. And I was just this 14 year old trying to figure out radio. And I ended up uh, like, it was awesome. I definitely had the favor of God and all of it because um, I, I got a pretty good scholarship to go to Huntington University for broadcast journalism. My first job right out of college was with the Fort Wayne Tin Caps, the minor league baseball team oh, yeah. here in Fort Wayne. I love baseball. And so it was literally like a dream job. And then um, I left minor league baseball to go work for NBC at 23 years old um, hmm. as an advertising executive and absolute dream job and um, made good money and it was perfect and everything was going good. And that's how these stories where God intervenes in, on the road to Damascus usually happens is everything is fine until yeah. this happens. And um, I remember sitting at home um, and I had heard about the Michael Brown shooting, but I honestly hadn't thought much of it. And then after the unrest had started happening, I remember sitting there watching uh, Don Lemon on CNN walking the streets and just the chaos. And I was sitting there in my living room trying to figure out why are these people so angry? Because I'm a guy who grew up in Southern Indiana-ish, uh, white town. And then, you know, after I peeled back the layers, it used to be a sundown town. So there used to be a curfew oh. for people of color in this town. And so that's why the town is predominantly white today. And so um, I remember just getting emotionally wrecked that there's an entire group of people that don't think police officers are the good guys. Yes. And wow. I know that sounds crazy, but when you grow up as your dad being a police officer and your dad's your first hero, right? I right. mean, you yeah. want to be like your dad and uh, watching him shine his boots and his brass on his uniform. And that was, there was so much honor and integrity with that. Mm. And it wasn't that I had a disdain for cops. I just didn't, I just didn't want to do it. Um, and so I remember sitting there in my living room about to get married. I, we were engaged at the time. And I was just weeping because I couldn't understand why these people didn't think police officers were the good guys. And wow. as I started doing some research and figuring it out, I remember within a week, I was like, well, I've got to go be a cop. That's exactly what I've got to do. I've got wow. to go fix this. Um, <laughs> and I don't know how to do that. And I'm a, I'm a 140 pound white guy with no prior <laughs> military. I have a broadcasting degree. Like there's no way they're going to hire me. And so I applied, and when I applied to the Fort Wayne Police Department, there were uh, like 1,400 applications, and they seated 28 of us in a police academy, and somehow I got in. And yeah. I don't understand it to this day, but um, every you're day now- Because you're 140 pounds of law enforcement- flesh baby no yeah, let, me, right. <laughs> let me wait let me let me just break in for a second okay so sure. so you're doing broadcast journalism you're living uh you're living the dream and yeah. uh michael brown shooting happens which is in ferguson missouri right which is a suburb yes. suburb st louis and this was what 2000 remember the uh, year that was the shooting was happened in uh late 14 i believe yeah, that's right, and then that's right. and the unrest happened around 15 okay and you're watching the news and this is a realization, like it's an aha moment for you. Yes. Of like, the police aren't good guys everywhere for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And so then your reckoning with that isn't to be like, well, that sucks. I'll be sure to pray about it. <laughs> uh, but it was, it, so can you name then, like, what was the, I need to become a police officer because I've been looking for a way to be a bad guy? No, that wasn't it. Like, what was the story that led you into... Like you said, I'm going to fix this. What, what was your hope? What was your thought you would be doing when you joined the police academy? Uh, that's a great question. And I think 
the the idea is I want to this man I sound I'm an idealist right I go to work mm. every single day and I think that I can change the world I truly believe it and I truly believe that I have the best job in the world and I can't believe they pay me to do it hmm. my wife I'm sure is tired of hearing me say that but <laughs> I go to work every day hoping that I can give a voice to the people who have never had a voice uh, to people like me and so I know that whenever I walk into and the neighborhood that I work is probably the most multicultural neighborhood in the entire city of Fort Wayne. Um, we have multi-million dollar homes down in an area called Foster Park. We also have some government housing. We have, you know, billboards that are in Spanish. We have billboards that are in Burmese. The largest population of uh, Myanmar refugees is in Fort Wayne outside yep. of Myanmar. And huh. so um, it's incredibly multicultural, huge black population. And I get to interact with all of them. And I understand that whenever I walk into a house and I feel that, right, the air is thick and there's that distrust for me, that I'm the one who did it to them. And I think a lot of police officers wow. don't recognize that, but I'm representative of the person who hurt them. Yes. I'm a white guy in a blue uniform. And it is my job, even though I'm not the one, even though it's really easy for me to say, well, it wasn't me who hurt you. It wasn't me who unlawfully searched you or pulled you over or profiled you. That story is truth to them, and a person who looked like me did it. And so it's up to me to fix it. Um, and I say it all the time, but we haven't gotten here overnight, and we're not going to get better overnight. It's going to take this sort of going to work, finding, for me, it's going to take going to work and finding the people that have this distrust, figuring out why, and just having the conversation. One of the most disarming phrases that I use all the time is, I don't know what it's like to be a young black man in America. Can you tell me what's got you so upset? And that disarmed, like, you can't get mad at me for, you know, like, and I've had some of the most angry looking young black men who are hurting on the inside from how someone like me treated them just completely break those walls down because that's empathy. I want to understand. And that's not something that's traditionally tied with policing in America. No. I don't know if that answered your question. It does, but. and I want to pull yeah. some things apart, Kirsch, because this is fascinating. So when you saw, when the bloom fell off the rose, and you saw you had clarity that police aren't always the good guys. In fact, some police in some places, the perception is they are what's wrong, not what's right. Your, right. <laughs> your impulse was to put yourself in the epicenter of what's wrong, to identify with it, to help redeem and make it right. Mm. And I just want to point out, like, friends, that is uh, profoundly theological, what you did. Yeah. Like, there's incarnation and atonement all through that. I mean, this is what God did when he wanted to rescue humanity. He yeah. decided, he could say, well, pff, I gave you the law, and yeah. and the promised land, yeah. and temple, and Torah, right? Yeah. And you blew it. Yeah. And so, but no, God said, okay, in order for me to redeem this this mass, I need to assume an identity that that is at the epicenter of the mass. So Christ that I became can, sin. He became, yeah. yeah to, he to became, free us from it. To yeah. free us from it. So, Kirsch, I just want to point out that, like, your impulse to move towards the mess and to take responsibility for the mess and solidarity with the mess as the only way to redeem it is the actual freaking hope of the world. It's the gospel. I'm going to lose yeah. it here. Like, that is it. That undoes... It, it is. That undoes all the scapegoating that we do. Yeah. All of the distancing ourselves from other people's mess. Yeah. All of the pointing fingers at them. 
right? All yeah. of the, well, not every white person that we do, yeah. right? Like all of it. That's yeah. beautiful, man. It is. It is. And I, I mean, I, I want to hear more, Kirsch, um, as well. But I, but I, I just think that the idea, because it would be easy, and I find this easy as well, to be somebody, it'd be easy for, to be somebody who's just like, yeah, you know, cops, Right, you know, like, like their <laughs> what's their deal? Right, yeah, what's their deal? Or even I imagine, like, even as a cop, even as a police officer, for you to say, yeah, but that's you know, I'm a different kind of cop, you know, like you can trust me, you know, that kind of thing. But for you to identify with and realize, oh, there's like, there's a reason they're on edge around me. Yeah, and that's and a- that and that has and that's my, it's. It's not on them to be like, hey, just get over it, you know, like go to some counseling or something. But like it's it's on me to unravel that mess because I'm I'm identifying with you know, with this group of people that huh. that has hurt them. That's just profound. It is, man. Tears. It is. So tell so tell us then you get into police academy, you're like one of the few that get in, you become a police officer mm-hmm. and you sort of make known your why you're there. Hey, other police officers! I'm going to um, I'm going to own all the crap you're not owning, and we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> save Fort Wayne. And they got super uh, excited about it, right? right. Finally, <laughs> <laughs> somebody to lead us. Not, not at all. Uh, <laughs> you couldn't be more wrong. Uh, <laughs> so tell so us how it, that went. It, what was that like? I just wanted to learn, right? So I love learning, and and so I knew that to add integrity to what I do, I still needed to be a good cop, right? I still needed uh-huh, to learn sure. how to how to keep myself alive out here because we do a job that's inherently dangerous. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. I was just in Washington, D.C. last week and um, I made sure to visit the National Law Enforcement Memorial. And there are a whole lot of names on there of people who are doing the same job that I'm doing. And in many ways, I would argue that... Um, they maybe weren't doing it with as much of a target on their back as I'm doing it, right? I know that I'm an enemy to both the principalities and powers that want to keep America divided, but I'm also an enemy to people that want to maintain the power um, that has Mm. been around for hundreds of years. And so um, I I took a moment to just think and reflect on that. And there's an inherent danger to Christianity. God gave us a lot of promises, but he never promised that we'd be safe. And Mm. that's something that I know and, um, I go to work and it's in the back of my mind, but, um, I don't, I try not to, I try not to dwell on it, but to answer your question, I, I first off just wanted to learn how to be a good cop, how to, to police like my dad policed, um, who was awesome, who always taught me no matter what you do, just leave someone better than you found them. And if you do that mm. in the smallest degree, that's it. And mm. I lived my life with that even before becoming a police officer and then realized that's essentially what policing is. It's just leaving someone better than you found them. And honestly, that could be in jail, right? But you can take a man (laughs) to jail and let him keep his dignity. Um, I can't tell you how many people that I've arrested and uh, they've thanked me for it, right? Because we as humans have this innate desire for justice inside of us. We know (laughs) when we do something wrong, that's why at such a young age, we tell on ourselves if we steal a cookie or whatever, right? Mm. It's, It's deep within our loins that justice has to happen and justice Mm. has to prevail even criminals believe this, right? Or even people who make mistakes believe this, or people who are struggling with the demons of addiction, which is what I see most often. But um, mm. yeah, I, I have I have had some kickback, which I think maybe what you were kind of trying to get at. I remember uh, two, 
So I'm a huge fan of Dr. King. And um, I, two years ago on MLK Day, I posted a picture of Dr. King who was at a lunch sit-in and he was getting pushed by a police officer. And I posted a quote from the letter of the Birmingham jail, uh, which I try to read every six months. I think that's probably one of his most relevant writings for today. So if there's one thing you get out of this, please go read letter of the Birmingham jail. Yes. good. But um, in that he talks about the white moderate and the people who they just want the everything to be calm. Right. Mm. And sometimes when everything is calm, that means there are people that are experiencing injustice. We just don't see it. Right. And he's calling out the white moderate to stand up um, and stand in solidarity with the freedom fighters of the time. And so I posted this picture on Instagram of the white cop pushing Martin Luther King. And I was, I kind of forgot about it. And a day later, (laughs) one of our civilian employees um, who works at the, for the department, phenomenal guy, he goes, why are you always posting that anti-cop stuff on your Facebook? And I was like, wait a second, what is anti-cop about that? Like, let's have this conversation because Mm. it really happened. Those weren't actors. There really was a white cop who pushed Dr. King. There really was this civil rights movement um, that police officers were on the wrong side of that Bull Connor, who uh, led the police force in Montgomery and Birmingham in the South, like he, he called out other police chiefs to do the same thing with the dogs and the hoses. So we can't pretend like it didn't happen. I, it's not anti-cop stuff. And I think that exposes this lie that um, anytime I talk about this, this is what I want. There's this lie in America that we have to choose between supporting law enforcement or pursuing racial reconciliation. You can't do either. And that's, that's, that's false. We can do both. We can support our first responders and our police officers while pursuing racial reconciliation. Those aren't mutually exclusive ideas. Yes. Um, I know that I went off on a tangent. But <laughs> no, man. That's man, okay. You, we just, don't, you hit yeah. that spot, you know? This is a tangent-friendly zone. Yeah, yeah. No, we, we love tangents. Um, and so, similar to the, the criminals who thank you for putting them in jail, like, there ought to be, like, sometimes the best way for us to, to help and to support law enforcement is to call them to justice, right? To say, hey, wrong. this is wrong, Right. <laughs> Like, do, like, this is not your job. We would like you to do your job, and we will yeah. support you to do it, but this is not it. Yeah. This is not your job. Yeah. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're not leaving people better off. Yeah, like, there's that's this, a good way to support them. There's this human impulse to distance ourselves from culpability and wrong, mm. right? To separate wrongness from us, yeah. right? And, and this is what was so powerful, the rant I went on six minutes ago about you moving, you choosing to identify with wrongness that wasn't yours, Right, you hadn't been a police officer up until that moment, yeah. But you're like the only way to redeem this yeah. is to identify fully with it and take on, take on the guilt from the inside, as a as someone who's uh, can can then redeem it, yeah. right? And so what I'm noticing is like, um, Kirsch, part of part of holding like the racial reconciliation and the supporting law enforcement together is we have to reckon with wrong. We hmm. we have to own and name and face it. And and not try to downplay it or like white moderate it, you know. Well, mm. you know, there's, there's there's good people on both sides or bad people on both sides. Like we have, <laughs> like you know, I mean, there's all these different there's all these different phrases song. we have yeah. to keep us from owning. You're right. I was a complete prick. Yeah. You know, we right. we have so many ways of just not saying yeah. that. Yeah. Or we have been. You know what I mean? Yeah. Again, yeah. even if I'm not individually. Yeah. You know. Uh, oppressing. I feel like this know, is whatever, one of the reasons like, yeah. we're doing this whole series is that yeah. like Ben and I are pastors and we, we, 
man, my heart breaks for um, how the uh, the office or the title of pastor uh, has way less confidence from most people than it did 20 years ago. Mm, right. And it's very similar to what's happening with law enforcement. You know, yeah. I grew up kind of like you, Kirsch. Yeah. I grew up in Southport, which is, I don't know, 10, sure. miles, 10 miles north of Franklin. You know, yeah. uh, both of us were really close to Whiteland, Indiana, which uh, <laughs> right. they, didn't even, they didn't even try to hide. Yeah. <laughs> they were, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but I, I, grew up, I grew up thinking, hey, police officers are great. They're, they're the heroes, superheroes. And uh, pastors are great. And in the last in the last thirty years, man, that's all come tumbling down, yeah. and and so part right. of the reason we're doing this power series isn't so we can say, let's talk about let's not talk about all how, pastors, not all pastors, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. no, like like the only way to heal the wound that our people have created is to say this is ours, yeah, mm. let's yeah, like and if as I'm Chris, sorry, I'm sorry yes. for what we have done, and if and if of all the groups of people have any language and framework inside of which that makes perfect sense mm-hmm. as Christians, mm-hmm. right? And we've been so slow to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, Kirsten, I, I wonder if you could tell, uh, I, you know, I don't know what uh, the legalities of this are, but like you mentioned a, a, a criminal who thanked you for arresting them. <laughs> could you tell us a, that story, like one of those stories? Like when was the last time that happened and how does that go down, you know? Sure. Uh, I would say the most recent one was I actually arrested a husband and wife on the same day in separate locations. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it was weird. And, it, and they're, unfortunately, they were both homeless, and, but they hadn't always been homeless. And I could tell that by you know, kind of looking at, at their, their past history. And I arrested both of them for a drug charge. And the husband was, he was still uh, pretty impaired. So I didn't get, you know, much out of him. But I always try to have that conversation, right? Because I think that's the most awkward situation possible. Like you're in a car with someone you're taking to jail. And as a 28 year old, oftentimes these people are old enough to be my parents, right? But I'm obligated, right? As a Christian, not to proselytize, but this could be the only time that I ever have to interact with this person. And I want them to feel heard. I want them, every, every human wants to feel heard, right? And so I want to give them the opportunity to tell their story in the back of my police car. Mm. And um, as, as silly as that sounds, and ridiculous as that sounds, no, I, I no. Do. Let me <laughs> let me pause. Let me pause. You you dis, you make a decision to dignify and humanize a criminal, yeah, mm. dude. And if there's anybody in our culture who doesn't deserve dignity and honor in our cultural imagination, it's criminals. And then there's actually some subs, there's pedophiles, right? <laughs> drug dealers, uh, sure. domestic abusers. Like those are the people that really don't deserve it. Right. But but if there's anybody that's okay to dehumanize and to, to take dignity there's like from cultural permission to do it. Oh right. yeah, you're yeah, righteous yeah. culturally to dehumanize them. Yeah. And so like I just want to point out, man, like that gosh. Kirsch, will you be my pastor? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> will you pastor me? Okay, so, so this so you this give woman, them a chance to share their story, right? Yes, yeah, this yeah. woman's in the back of your car, and what do you say? Hey, what's your deal? What do, like how do you open that story up? No. Uh I had, I told her, I broke the news to her because I figured she'd see him in lockup. Hey, you know, I just arrested your husband like two hours ago. And uh, she was like, oh yeah, you know, he's just really not having a good time. And I said, tell me about that because I don't, it doesn't look like you guys have been in, in Fort Wayne very often. I, I can't remember where they had moved from, but they had moved from somewhere else, um, like in Kentucky or something. And um, I said, so is your family still in Kentucky? And obviously when you talk about family, that's usually a switch. And 
yeah, but they don't want anything to do with me. Tell me about that. Why? And it was addiction and who she married and all of the bad decisions, which essentially just led to the cycle of addiction and pushed her farther down. And then I, you know, someone of that age, I do have kids. Yeah, but I don't see them anymore. And uh, then we just talked about her kids and she shared her heart. And you could tell that that was the first time in a long time because her face lit up that she's still proud of her kids. And uh, that's, it was, it was just really awesome that once we got out and we were in this, you know, cause you kind of go into this garage bay area. Um, that's where it's not, it's not, uh, it's you're recorded when you're in the car and your video recorded whenever you're in that garage bay, but I don't think your audio recorded. And I always double check and ask them like, uh, I give them like an out card. I say, Hey, is there anything on you that I didn't find that's going to be another charge once you get into the jail? Because it's like a felony once you go into the secure facility. And I'm telling them like, if it's not like something really significant, I, I'll take care of it. If you know, if I missed it, that's my bad. I won't charge you with it, officer discretion, that kind of thing. And she said, no, but I, I what she said, something like, no, but I appreciate the conversation. Um, I really miss my kids. And there was just this like mm. a little glimpse of humanity in there, you know, and you know, it wasn't the first time she had been arrested, but it felt like it was the first time that she had been shown grace by a police officer, treated as a human by a police officer. And I hope that's not, I certainly hope that's not the case. I always say there's, there's plenty of us out here. I promise. I haven't met a ton of them, but I'm pretty sure there are other cops doing what I do. Um, I want to think that, right? Like I really want to think that, um, that I'm not the only one with this calling and that God is raising up other people who want to see policing this way. And that's not, to say anything about the old dogs, right? I mean, I've seen a lot of old police officers have those conversations with me about the civil rights movement. And, you know, I went to uh, Montgomery last year and was able to tour the Dexter Street Baptist Church. And um, I got to sit in Dr. King's office and Mm. I was sitting in there with this lady who is a deacon of the Dexter Street Baptist Church. And it was just she and I and we're sitting in Dr. King's office and I'm like in complete awe and there's a lump in my throat already. And she grabs my hand and she said, what do you do? And where are you from? And I was like, I'm from Fort Wayne. Obviously I didn't want to tell this <laughs> lady. That yeah. <laughs> right? And she said, yeah, but what do you do? And I said, I'm a police officer. And she held my hand even tighter. And now this is an older woman who, who lived through the civil rights movement. And she looked me in the eye in Dr. King's office and said, can you give a black man the benefit of the doubt just one time? And that like wrecked me. She just wanted me to do it one time. That's, that's where she's at with it. And we went upstairs into the sanctuary, the Dexter street Baptist church held hands and sang, we shall overcome together. (laughs) And what an amazing experience. And, but that gave me this other glimpse of these people aren't getting the benefit of the doubt and they're losing their humanity. And that's not the grace that Jesus gives me, right? Mm. And, and I don't know. It, it sounds so Sunday school when I say it out loud, but uh, <laughs> no, I don't know. That makes, does any no, of this make sense? Yeah. It does. I'm getting saved uh, over here. Yeah. So it's, it I've been praying for that Sunday too for a while school. for you, Ben. So yeah, thanks, Kirsch. It's happening. Yeah, you're answering prayers over here. No, it's, seriously, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't sound like silly. It doesn't sound Sunday school. Uh, it could it's, be. It's, it could be sentimental. It could be sentimental, nice-sounding yeah, things, but it's, except for the fact that you decided you to become this. a police officer right. <laughs> for the express reason of doing this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think what's so powerful about it, Kirsch, is that you are, 
again, the word embodying, embodiment uh, comes to mind, where you're you are embodying, we, we talk a lot about cruciform power, like the, the mm. you know, because God has power, right? God's powerful, and we, we talk about that, and we've talked about in this series, as you know, the difference between the way that God holds, like what God's power is and what it does, that kind of thing. So I just so appreciate hearing, I guess, these concrete stories uh. about how you are embodying uh-huh. this cruciform power um, in in the role that you have, um, just kind of like right there in the belly of the beast. It's yes. incredible. Yeah. Yes. Really appreciate hearing about what you're doing. I, you've mentioned the uh, officer discretion a couple times. Mm. Um, can you tell us what that is and how that how that informs and influences the way that you are, um, the way that you embody justice on the beach. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So it, it's different in every state and it depends on how, so I just got my master's degree in public administration. I just finished it and I'm super excited about that. I was the first person in my family to go to college. So, um, mm-hmm. I'm very, very proud of that. And so, um, when you look at policy and when you look at statutory law, um, it usually says an officer may arrest for a crime, right? So it'll say an officer may arrest, mm-hmm. and that may gives you discretion. There are a few laws that say an officer shall arrest. One of those is a felony domestic battery. That's one of those, like, as soon as you have probable cause, um, as defined by the Supreme Court, like, you have to arrest. You don't, you don't have a choice. You don't have discretion, yeah. Correct, yep. And so anytime an officer, it says an officer may arrest, I get to decide, right? And I get to decide what they choose. And that's that's the power that the citizens of Fort Wayne have entrusted me with. And um, when I raised my right hand, I didn't say I was going to go on a war path and arrest everyone that commits a crime. <laughs> I said, I'm going to do this to make Fort Wayne a better community. And sometimes making Fort Wayne a better community is giving grace and um, kind of reading an entire situation, maybe taking an extra 10 minutes to see if there are some underlying issues going on in a home or if I can counsel a kid or if I can do something in the home or if I can do something on the scene uh, and just use those communication skills that God gave me and Huntington University sharpened (laughs) in me um, to calm the situation rather than just putting someone in handcuffs and taking them to jail. Although that's a tool that I have to use I try to make it a last resort. Now that doesn't mean that, you know, it's flawless and people get away with everything. I, I have a pretty good amount of arrest, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't know. There's just a certain, there's just a certain sense of intelligence that we need to approach policing with of, is it really best for this person to go to jail right now? And then here's another question. How much do I believe that jail corrects bad behavior? Um, right. or am, if someone is in a state of poverty is taking them to jail, forcing them to pay bail or sit in jail longer until their trial and losing their job that they just got, like that's just going to plunge them further into poverty. Right. And so it's a matter of, you know, looking at the, the totality of circumstances of yes. what's best for this situation. You're doing profound theology on the ground, Kirsch. Just know this. You're a theologian. Yeah. Um, Dominique Du Bois-Gilliard, we had him on the podcast yeah, a few months ago. Him. He wrote a book on called Rethinking Mass Incarceration. And mm. he's, he talks about, uh, you'd, I think you'd really dig his book. He talks about uh, you know, the school-to-prison pipeline and, and all the different ways that we've thought about justice. But one of the things he deconstructs um, 
which I hear you having already deconstructed, is the link we have between retributive justice and redemption. Mm. And there's a theological stream in America that sees retributive justice as the pinnacle of sort of what it means to be just. And what I hear you saying is, um, if the if the goal of the justice system is righteousness in a, in a just society, then retribution may not be the best way to get there. That there may be a higher justice, there may be some restoration that needs to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. And and uh, so I just want to, and, and then also too, there's this sense of a meritocracy that we live in, where where um, not only do we get what we deserve, but it's righteous and just that we get what we deserve, and individual actions merit individual outcomes. And I hear you uh, not dismissing those two ideas, but holding them with open hands and discerning in wisdom on the ground, like where. Like, what will be the telos of this decision? What's the What will happen as a result of this decision here? And how do I work for the good of society and the individual right here? Am I hearing you right? Yeah, and, and I, I don't know that I could say that any better, right? Because um, I'm familiar with a lot of literature on mass incarceration and especially the privatization of prisons. I wrote um, a lot on the privatization of prisons uh, during my master's program. And that was... That was a, another big eye-opening part for me is figuring out, does this really work? And then what's my role in this? And so when you said the retribu- retributive justice, I can't say that any better. Um, but when we apply it to another discussion that I have a lot, which is uh, capital punishment, you're exactly right. We're not mm-hmm. saying that these people don't deserve to die. What we're saying is we're not deserving to kill them. Uh, like it's, it's, it's oh, let wow. he without yes. sin cast the first stone, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah. we're all deserving of death. And so, you know, when you read some of these horror stories of people who are on death row, like, yeah, yeah, they probably deserve to die. Everything in my human person says, man, that was a really bad thing. Yeah. They deserve to die, but I'm not deserving. Uh, you know, I'm not morally high enough to be able to do that or to say that. Mm. And so it's mm. that that seems to be the where that conversation needs to go. Not to derail yeah. us on capital punishment by any means, but um, no, but that it, seems to be yeah. the the mm. highest consequence of retributive justice. Right, right, yeah. And I, I, I think I mean it, I don't th- see that as a derailing, Kirsch. I think I think it's the the logic that you're using. Um, just apply it in a, in a different in a different place. Yes. And I, I remember this like when my kids were younger, that there was this sense of like justice meant, and I you know like if somebody if I found out somebody like stole some cookies right or something like that they took something without asking for it, there was this thing in me that rose up that was like well somebody has to pay for this, mm. right like. Like that—that's what justice is. Is like you—you you have to scale. If you committed the a crime, you're right. You have to pay for this. And and we, we were just sharing. My kids are a little older now, and now they—they they they, still take cookies. Well, <laughs> no, they probably do. <laughs> but they were just sharing that. Now they're funny stories about. You remember that time, Dad made us all sit in the you know kitchen until somebody fessed up. You know, like all of all of these things. And I I was feeling a little foolish. You know, you were interrogating like, them. Under I know. I was. I was so. It was so. And they were all kind of. La- I'm glad my kids can laugh about it, and they're not traumatized by it. But like, I, um, I just sort of felt foolish because. And one of the things I realized, I was like, "Yeah, that's in me, that I think people should pay for the bad things that they do." But the logic that you're using is is different, 
Kirsch, where there's a there's a there's a different telos than just like oh if you do a bad thing there's a consequence. The telos is like you said the betterment of Fort Wayne, like the the flourishing of this community, um, and there's all these interconnected uh, elements to that 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 I think uh, you're very wise to be able to take into account rather than just, oh, did you, do you have drugs on your person? Well, here's the consequence, yeah. and I'm going to apply this no matter what. Where it's mm. like, well, maybe not. Maybe that's not the best thing for this person or for this community or for this family, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, it's great, man. It's great. Mm. Um, Kirsch, uh, I think I, we could talk to you for another three hours. I, mm. <laughs> I, I, I really... But uh, this series is on power... And yeah. one of the things I'm noticing is that you you have you've been given power and authority by the citizens of Fort Wayne. You just mentioned that. So your your badge and your uniform carry a certain power, but you also have like on your hip, depending upon your beat, you have like a firearm, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have yep. you have in a in a what split second you have the power to take life, yeah. right? And then there's a whole there's a whole spectrum of using that power to coerce, intimidate, influence, motivate people to do what you want. So that's let's put that in one bucket. And the other bucket you have, hey, tell me about what it's like to be a, a black kid. Mm-hmm. Um uh tell tell me why tell me why you miss your kids. You're right. You have so you have the power maybe of coercive force and then you have the power of empathetic engagement. Mm-hmm. How do you navigate having your fingertips on both those like how does <laughs> Tell me, how do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I wish I had a really profound answer for that, but I have no idea. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's such a hard, that's such a hard question because it's there, right? It's just, it's just like how I said the danger of the job to me, um, the idea that I may have to implement deadly force, um, man, that that's super hard. And I, I believe that I would have to repent Um, if I ever did that. And I don't think that a lot of police officers think that way, but if God forbid I ever have to use deadly force, I would, I would pursue reconciliation, right? I mean, that's the nature of my Mm -hmm. ministry because that's the nature of Christ's ministry is reconciliation. And that's what we're all called to do. And so Mm -hmm. I don't know what that would look like in that specific situation. It's something that I've thought about. It's something that I've trained for and I've prepared for, but Um, I would hope that anyone who knows me would know that if I, if I ever had to do that, they would know that my integrity stands on its own and they would say, man, he must've been in a really bad situation, right? Because Kirsch is the kind of guy who's going to try every possible thing, uh, until that, until that happens. And there's, there was one situation where, I've had, I've had two situations where, um, by the color of the law, I would have been justified, um, in killing someone. Mm. And that is a weird situation to be in. And it's one of those I had to go home and talk to my wife about, um, just because of the emotions and the trauma and all of those things. And I know that is not what a cop is supposed to talk about because we're tough or whatever, but no, there are some significant emotions in going, I had the lawful authority to take another person's life today. And I don't ever want that to not be as big as it is. I, mean, I, I don't ever want to make that smaller than what, that's a big deal. That is a yeah. huge yeah. deal. Um, and one of them was a situation where there was a gentleman on a traffic stop um, and it was after a pursuit and 
he was kind of hiding his hands and there were probably five or six other police cars there and we couldn't see his hands and he wouldn't get out of the car and he was only sticking his head out and there were you know guns on him rifles on him now he had a gun on him and we knew he was a bad guy right like this he's not this guy wasn't profiled this guy wasn't wrongfully stopped or whatever he's a bad guy uh but still i don't want to see someone get shot today and yeah. so i made a pretty i guess tactically poor decision but i knew that there were plenty of there was plenty of cover and i i literally i holstered my gun and i just said his first name because people respond to their name and uh I said that I called this guy by name rather than just shouting commands, which is what everyone else was doing. I asked the lead officer, I said, Hey, can I try? And he said, yeah. And then I holstered my gun and I called him by name and man did his head turn. And I had his attention. Wow. And then I said, if you come to me, will you just step out of the car? And he said, yes, I'm coming to you. And I want you to be the one to put handcuffs on me. And <laughs> okay. Like, that's fine. That's and so amazing. we were able to call him out. Now, I don't want to, like, this could have gone south, right? right like, it was a right. little bit of a gamble, right? And it probably wasn't the best decision that I made tactically or whatever, but yeah. that was, that safely quelled that situation, which could have been a deadly force encounter because they couldn't see his hands. He was in a car. He was known to have a gun and he had felony warrants. Those are totality of circumstances. If you read mm-hmm. Tennessee versus Garner, um, or Graham versus Connor, which are the Supreme Court cases that dictate deadly force encounters in law enforcement, they would have been justified. They would have been justified in killing that young man. But uh, now he safely sits in jail. Kirsch, that guy's dead if you weren't there, right? Yeah. Basically. You know, I, I, I'm not going to definitively <laughs> say that because I don't know the decisions that those other officers would make. And I like to think that yeah. as an idealist that another officer would have hmm. safely called him out. But uh it was a bad situation for sure. Yeah. yeah, so so here's what the picture I get of what you did there. There's that old um the 80s uh China Chinese Revolution in the Tiananmen Square and there's that picture mm. there's that picture of an unknown anonymous Chinese man standing in front of a line of tanks. Right? I don't know if you're familiar with this picture. 100%. Yeah, so uh, but here's the thing. <clears throat> Your situation was there's a line of tanks and there's another tank on the other side of that man. Like you, you walked into a, a situation where the only imagination people had to resolve this was violence, right? Usually on both sides. On both sides, right? On both sides, and uh, and then by by holstering your gun and humanizing this person, yeah, that's and, and calling calling them into accountability because you didn't. You didn't say, uh, hey, this can really end well for you and we'll give you an ice cream cone and send you on your way. No, <laughs> you're like, come to me right here, right? There's a fierce power and authority there that is that guns and bombs, they quake and tremble at that authority and power. Right? Yeah. I mean, this is the power of the kingdom, bro. And I just want, I mean, this is, this is let you who doesn't have a sin cast a first stone. And instead of, Mm. begging you, pleading you, trying to appease you. I'm just going to doodle on the ground. I'm going to defuse this hostile situation where the scapegoat has to die, and I'm going to do it by calling you to account, and it makes your violence unintelligible. Mm. And that is that is the power of the kingdom. Yeah. And we have such small imaginations for that, Kirsch, right? 
We just yeah. don't have... No one's ever done that to us. No, We've never been in the car with our hands hidden and someone has dignified us and told us, you don't have... Like, there's another way other than going out in a blaze of glory. Mm-hmm. Right. We just don't... Ha- no one's done that for us. Yeah. It's hard to imagine. It's That's beautiful, bro. It is beautiful. Man. It's really, really helpful. Son of a gun. Yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate you sharing this stuff with us, Kirsch. And I think, you know, um, I, I don't know how many of our listeners are police officers. Uh, if you are, uh, take some notes. You go back and listen to this again, maybe. <laughs> no, yeah. well, no. I mean, I, I don't. But I know it's, what you're doing is hard. I know you don't have it all figured out, Kirsch. Yeah. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to hold you up as some paragon of no, no, no. of criminal justice. Yeah. I do think though that like stepping into a place where culturally we're aware of more than ever of how complicated justice is and how complicated mm-hmm. America's history contributes to that. I think. I think you being present. Um, with Christ in yeah, that yeah. working for a higher uh, ideal of justice is yeah. is helpful for me to rethink how I embody power in my life. Yes, and that's that's what I w- that's what I wanted to say. Like, not, not all of us are police officers, but we do embody power in some way. All of us have some measure of authority, some measure of power, and uh, I hope I, I've you know I think gained an imagination for how to embody my authority as a you know, a father to children, as a pastor, you know, all of the the realms that I carry authority, I think I have a better imagination for how to bear that in a cruciform way, um, how to take responsibility uh, and and to lead uh, in, a, in a way that more closely resembles Jesus. Yeah. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Kirsch, it's really helpful. I have two final questions for you, Kirsch, if you have time. Yeah. Uh, the first is, what do you, so you've been a cop for how long? Four years. Okay. What are you learning right now? Where does it feel like you have, or you're aware of the gap between, gosh, what I need to know and what I don't know? Where are you experiencing that right now? Um, so as a, as a student of the civil rights movement um, and, and Dr. King, what I'm realizing is how it affects policing today and understanding that the we so this is this is something that has really just kind of recently been a revelation but um we hold the stories of our grandparents to be gospel right we will buck what our parents say because they're our parents but our grandparents stories those are crazy and those are true and we have to listen to them because they are the epitome of wisdom sages um yeah right the kids that I'm policing today, the 20 somethings, right. That I'm policing today are the grandchildren of the civil rights movement. Hmm. And if your grandma or grandpa lifted up a pant leg and showed them a, and showed you a scar where the dog bit them, um, or, uh, they have a hurt shoulder from the hoses, or they tell you a story of when they were clubbed the night that Dr. King was murdered because they were trying to quench riots, which actually happened. Uh, there were in Fort Wayne, this is a true story in Fort Wayne. They put cars of four out the night that Dr. King was killed and they were told to beat anyone that they see and leave them lay. I heard this from a police officer, uh, that has since retired that was working that night. And, uh, it was to, to say, because there was this unrest happening that night that that's not going to happen in Fort Wayne. And these people 
their grandkids are who I'm policing now, right? And so I have to understand that the civil rights movement of the 1960s wasn't the civil, it's not just the civil rights movement of the 1960s. It's ripple effect affects how I police today and how people see me today. And um, so it was really neat to go to Washington, D.C. last week and to stand on the exact spot where Dr. King gave his I Have a Dream and to go in the Willard Hotel where he wrote the speech the night before and to just try to embody that spirit and to ask uh, what, what would he have to say about where we're at today. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at now. And that's where I've been a, a long time, to be honest with you, is is I'm really just stuck in the civil rights movement because it, it seems like that was the last time that things were this chaotic between the black community and law enforcement. And there were some things we got wrong in the 1960s as white evangelicals. And let's make sure we don't get them wrong this time. Let's figure out why black lives matter exists rather than just dismissing them. Um, when I was, I, I recently got asked to speak at Toccoa Falls college and in Georgia. And during one of the things that I said, I said, Freddie Gray and Tamir Rice and Michael Brown and Sandra Bland. And I, I had a kid come up to me afterwards and thanked me and hugged me because he had never heard a white cop say their names. And there's power in those names, right? Yeah. And so recognizing that there's power to hear a white police officer say those names or to acknowledge yeah, that was, that was not good what we did there. You know, um, Mm. I think that's where I'm at. And I know that, I know that's kind of at the beginning of our discussion, but I never want to leave that spot. I never want to go up so high that I forget why I, why I started this whole thing. If that, if that makes sense or if that's what you're, if that's what you're looking for. Yeah. So what I heard you say is what I'm learning is I always have to be again, again, like I can't ever yeah. get past the stage of learning and, and knowing I have to learn more. Mm-hmm. And so, yes. yeah, and even in naming those names, you know, what I, what, one of the things that's happening there, it occurs to me, is that um, there's just like a baseline of dignity. Yeah. Like those are people. Yeah. They have a last yeah. name. Yeah. I, mm. And I see them. And I, They're not political pawns. No, right? they're, they're people. Not a story on CNN. They're not an argument on Facebook. They are humans that existed. They're not used for your justification of anti-police or pro-police. They're not pawns to be used. You're exactly right. They're humans, and they should be treated as such. And they should be have a, They should have the dignity of a human being. Yeah. Yes. Um. Man. Second question. Uh, can I come do a ride along with you sometime? I would love that. We don't allow ride alongs oh. in Fort Wayne oh. unless you're a police officer. But I'll tell you this, Indiana State Police, they allow ride alongs. So if you get with our Fort Wayne post um, and we can get in contact or whatever, um, you can ride with uh, a state trooper that I'm really good friends with. And then we can essentially po- still police together. Uh, you would just be riding uh in a trooper car, but yeah, we can, we can make it happen. I'm going to do it right along. I saw that movie. It looked like a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is that what it's like? Believe everything you see on the movie. That's exactly how it is. (laughs) That movie is why it's, uh, they're not allowed to do that. Kevin Hart Hart ruined it for all of us. Um, Hey, Kirsch, thanks so much, man. Uh, thanks for your story. Thanks for sharing, being generous with your time on your day off. And thanks for your, I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah. Thanks for your work. Um, 
Are, uh, what are ways you mentioned Instagram? What are ways people can uh, connect with you online, if any? Yeah, I'm. I'm not shy. Um, a lot of police officers do fake names. Feel free to add me on Facebook. Send me a message. Say that you heard me on Gravity Leadership, and you want to have this discussion. Um, okay. The spelling is kind of weird. It's K E I R S H C O C H R A N. I'm sure it'll be mm-hmm. visually we'll there the on the notes. podcast. Yep. Um, and then uh, Instagram. I'm the Kirsch. Um, there's only one of. Kirsch, there's only one Kirsch spelled this way, so it ended up working out just fine. But That's amazing. Um, yeah, or or shoot me an email. Uh, it's kirschc at gmail.com. And uh, we're working on a couple things about uh, like a blog after I've finished my master's. Um, okay. I really want to start um, a blog as sort of a catalyst for um, the speaking ministry, that kind of thing. And uh, I don't ever want to make it about me. And that's the biggest part that I'm, I'm struggling with if I'm completely transparent. Mm-hmm. Um, with like-minded believers is how can I put my writing? I really enjoy writing. How can I put that writing out there? Or how can I um, make myself available to come speak at places that this message needs to be heard without being really self-promotion and making it yeah. about a white cop? Because this conversation doesn't need to be about a white cop by yeah. any means. But um, That's the yeah. struggle, right? You don't want to become this branded white savior this, cop. Yeah, the, the right, paragon right. of like, oh, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm doing it right. That's Guys. almost that's almost like yeah. it's in the same category as the white moderate King was talking about, right? There's exactly. Almost, there's almost right. this, but at the same time, um, you're recognizing that what you're experiencing and learning is helping others. So how do you right connect tell people the stories, to that? but also make it uh, about something? Yeah. So if you have ideas for Kirsch, let him know. Yeah. Yeah. Kirsch, we we count you a friend now. Yep. Thanks for spending time with us. Super nice yeah, to meet you, man. Absolutely. I'm really glad Appreciate I didn't. You guys. I'm really glad I, I didn't sing my way through this interview because I think this. You this know, was a better way to do it, probably. Much better way. The, the original <laughs> thinking there. Peace, Kirsch. Take care. See you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you enjoy learning from this podcast, please be sure to show your support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes. Be sure to share with your friends on social media too. And we would love to hear from you. So please email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. You can join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. 
Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.